0: Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. This is episode 168 of the show, and today we've got Mr. Gordon Goff joining us, and Gordon is the president and CEO of the Ohio Council for Retail Merchants, and he's got a lot of great insight into the retail industry in general, as well as the Columbus business environment. So as always, hope you guys enjoy this episode, and we hope you learn a lot. Before we get to that episode, though, as usual, we've got to take a quick moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here at Conquering Columbus, and that starts with Small Biz Cares.
1: Small Biz Cares is a nonprofit founded by socially conscious community leaders here in Columbus, and their goal is to connect, mobilize, and inspire small businesses to create lasting positive impact in our community. Small Biz Cares members have the unique opportunity to work with like-minded businesses to raise money for great causes and participate in large-scale volunteer efforts and improve educational opportunity for youth in our community. To learn more, visit smallbizcares.org. That is smallbizcares.org.
0: Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need, including investors, mentors, capital, and talent, through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state. And you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And now I'm going to kick it back to Josh to tell you about our last sponsor, FMX. FMX is a cloud-based
1: facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself become the fastest growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to
0: gofmx.com. All right, Conquerors, let's get the show on the road. You can drop me anywhere on the planet
1: And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average.
0: This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. Today on the show, we've got Mr. Gordon Goff joining us, and Gordon is the president and CEO of the Ohio Council of Retail Merchants. In this role, he is the point person for Ohio retail and wholesale issues in the state house and Congress, and manages the council's budget, staff, and vendors. He spent over 16 years at the Ohio Council of Retail Merchants and earned his Bachelor's in Political Science and Master's in Business Administration from The Ohio State University and the Fisher College of Business. We're very excited to have him here on the show today. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Gordon.
2: Thank you very much. It's, uh, it's great to be here and uh, talk about good things today.
0: Perfect. Well, we're excited. Appreciate you joining us on a Thursday evening here. And yeah. typically one of the first places we kind of like to start is take a step back, talk about family childhood growing up. Um, and anything along the way to your current role that you'd feel are key highlights, things that kind of shaped your career and path?
2: Yeah, absolutely, thank you very much. Um, I grew up in Kettering, Ohio, which is just a suburb of Dayton, west of here. Uh, you know, Frankly, I had a charmed life. My, uh, my parents uh, grew up in a working class family. My father was a machinist, uh, did attend some college, and my mother worked part-time in a local hospital. So I had two great parents growing up. I have a, a younger sister who's a couple years younger than me. You know, I, Kettering is a, is a great community, and if you guys are familiar with it, it's very similar to many of the communities here in Columbus. And just a great, uh, great foundation to kind of propel me to Ohio State.
1: So was the choice for Ohio State pretty easy then? I mean, Kettering's really, is it in Dayton or very close to Dayton?
2: Yeah, it's just south of Dayton. So Kettering in the Dayton area doesn't look east of Columbus. Dayton's very Cincinnati-centric, so everything is Cincinnati. I'm a Reds fan. I knew of Columbus; it was just some city to the east. And uh, I think it was my junior year of college. I was da- I was dating a girl, and we had made a trip over with her uncle. He was buying a car, and he said, "Hey, have you guys ever been to Ohio State's campus?" No, never been. And he's like, "How oh, about I drop you guys off? I'll I'll purchase the car. and You guys can walk around and take a look at it." So. He dropped us off at Mirror Lake, and the clouds parted, and the sun came out, and it was like, oh and I was like, this is where I want to go to school. So Ohio State was the only school that I applied to. I just liked Ohio State. Obviously, I'm um, a huge Buckeye fan. You know, you always like your home, your, your uh, state school, but, you know, coming and witnessing, you know, Buckeye Saturdays and the whole tailgating and the whole atmosphere, uh, it was great. I, I've enjoyed every minute of it.
0: It's funny you say that because I kind of had a similar experience. You know, I grew up in California, came out to Ohio State, and the first time I stepped foot on campus, I had that same kind of like, oh, man, this is where I want to go to school. So it's definitely – your first time on campus is definitely something different. Yeah. But so you get to Ohio State, and you decided to go into political science at Ohio State. Did you always have kind of a political mindset? What drew you towards that field?
2: Yeah, so let me go back a little bit. I mean, we kind of jumped from, from being Kettering to Ohio State, so, you know, a lot of great people at a young age were, were mentors to me, and you mentioned you know, how to, how to politics or how to government really become a focus for me, and I give all the credit to my fifth grade teacher, Mr. Degger, who was unorthodox in some of his teachings from the other two fifth grade teachers at my elementary school, and one of the topics that he covered over and over was our system of government. Uh, three branches of government, and I had never been indoctrinated with how our government ran and I was, it just blew me away. It was one of those aha moments again where like the, all of this makes complete sense. And so I had always continued to read and, and study about politics and, and how the government works and I would say more of the government first and then kind of how the politicians that run government and kind of learn that second. But you know, learning about the judicial branch, executive branch legislative branch and then social studies was always a a topic for me that I I did very well in as a student so um, I give Mr. Degger a lot of credit you know and and growing up obviously I had a great mother and father and great role models had a grandmother my maternal grandmother was a big role model in my life growing up and I think how she lived her life and her involvement her civic involvement her community involvement was always something that I always wanted to aspire to be and uh, she was a great woman and my mother was the youngest of four and so I was much younger than many of my cousins and so the time my grandmother spent with me was, was, was a big part of, I think, who I am today.
1: So you finished up your political science degree at Ohio State, were the path pretty clear for you after that or did you have Yeah, to you know, anything? I was
2: probably one of, the, one of the few, you know, students at Ohio State as you guys are both graduates, I didn't change majors at all. I was, I entered Ohio State, was a political science major i think the only thing different from what i had initially thought i was going to study is i thought i was going to study all american politics and actually i did all foreign affairs my focus was the middle east eastern europe and really enjoyed that part of it uh, going through some of those courses i picked up a minor in international studies just because you take one class you kind of get credit for both the major and the minor But I knew that I was going to do something in politics, and and, uh, frankly, my internship that kind of started my career and what I do uh, was a favor. Uh, I was president of my college fraternity, and one of my fraternity alums, who was an office holder here in Franklin County, had hired the director of the Department of Commerce's son when he was a student about five years before. So Gary Suwadolnik, who was a state senator and then the director of commerce, hired me as an intern. In 2000 and they offered me a full-time job before I graduated so I worked about 20 hours a week for the department and uh, finished school you know and worked for some great people there Pat McDonald who was a assistant director was a mentor to me kind of showing me the ropes on you know politics and how government works
0: what type of work were you doing while you're there
2: yeah so I worked in the legislative shop so I was a legislative liaison and, and essentially what I had done for the department and for the and for Governor Taft's administration is, you know, state agencies obviously have various issues that they that they manage and, and the Department of Commerce is kind of a catch-all department that regulates alcohol, financial institutions, has the state fire marshal. So my role was to interact with the General Assembly, members of the House and the Senate. So if they were to pass a law or introduce a bill that had some impact on the sale of Spiritist Liquor, which the department regulated, we would go over and kind of be on the front line of, of talking with legislators, you know, on behalf of the department and also on behalf uh, of the governor and the governor's office. So it was a great, great opportunity to learn issues very quickly.
1: And how did that evolve as your time with the organization has gone on and on? Like, is there certain pivotal roles that you jump to or do you continue to work on the same issues or?
2: So I was with the Department of Commerce for about two and a half years um, after Governor Taft was reelected in 2002. I was offered a position with the Ohio Council of Retail Merchants and so I, I started with the council in 2003 and really just hired I think my first title was public affairs director so really I was uh, a staff lobbyist and my my role there was on behalf of the business members of our association you know if a, if, if a law or a bill introduction has some kind of type of impact on their business they would use us to go over and, you know, and talk about and lobby and advocate on their behalf. So started, started doing that in 2003.
0: And what was that ex- initial experience like? So, you know, the, the process, the you know, the different teams you were working with, what was that all entailing?
2: Uh, it was great. So um, I had the very fortunate um, opportunity to work for a legend in the Ohio State House, uh, John Mahaney, uh, who had been, has been, he's still one of our vice chairmen, has he started with the council in 1958 uh, he just celebrated his 87th birthday in April so chief as he's known by governors and everybody else was really a legend in the state house so learning from somebody that had been you know doing lobbying association management for you know at that time 50 years was was huge for me as being a young guy I think I was 25 when I started working for him and uh, just the fact that all the people that he knew, all the stories, connections, and, and the ability to go over and work on issues was was, was tremendous.
1: And then as things continue to grow, um, talk about that path for you, like how did the responsibilities line up and what, what type of businesses were you lobbying for in particular? So
2: the, the Ohio Council of Retail Merchants is a 7,000 member organization, so we represent the world's largest retailers and businesses to, to small and independent so we we look we're from wall street to main street you know ohio has been the birthplace of a lot of great things including retail companies you know you look at our founder chuck lazarus junior of lazarus department stores was also the creator of federated department stores which now we call macy's then you have the kroger company uh, in cincinnati obviously we have l brands here and many of the spinoff companies so If you look at Ohio versus the rest of the country, it's a great area, a great uh, birthplace of many retail companies. So interacting with those companies and and many of the senior level people in those companies uh, on how to formulate strategy to to help their business or to just talk about all the great things that the retail industry does. You know, In retail in Ohio, we're 18% of the state's GDP and one in four jobs in Ohio is a retail job. So that's impactful uh, that we that we touch that many people. I mean, many of you we all shop at retail places. Uh, you may leave our interview the night and shop somewhere, or you may be on your smartphone shopping later. So you know, retail touches touches all Americans, all highlands.
0: And this question isn't on the outline, so we can we can cut it if uh, we have to. But I'm just curious. You know, over time, obviously, we've had a lot of new tech companies. You can think of one big one that you know, Amazon, that is hurt retail. And over time, how have those concerns changed, I guess? Because you mentioned, you know, we're in you know, Ohio, we're a big retail state. So yeah. how, is that, how have those concerns changed? And how has your team worked with people on those?
2: Uh, you know, Clay Christensen with, with Harvard talks about disruption. And I guess he's the, the person who, who termed the word disruption. I think that's the now the million dollar word that people talk about in tech, technology companies. Amazon's a retailer. Retail is retail. If you go back to the 1960s and, uh, you know, the suburban sprawl that was created after World War II, if you think about before World War II or even earlier part of the 19th century, 20th century, retail was downtown. And now we've created shopping centers. We've created malls. So retail has continued to evolve to where the shopper and the consumers are. Mm -hmm. If shoppers and consumers are on their mobile devices, that's where the retailers need to be. Uh, brick and mortar is not going away, uh, i give you a, a statistic, in, in 2018, 10% of retail transactions were online, 90% were brick and mortar. Uh, shopping is a social experience, you know, we're still social beings, uh, we'd like to be around other human beings. Shopping is not going to go away, it's going to change, it's going to be more experiential, people want an experience. So. If you go to a, a fabulous facility like Easton, you may do more than shop, you may eat, you may buy a service, so all of that becomes retail. So, you know, companies like Amazon or others are just making retailers um, more nimble, smarter, and just the bottom line is, it's meeting the the customer where the customer is. and that's the, and, and that's what retailers have to do and what they are doing.
1: So fast forward today, you know, what changed when becoming CEO and president? How did your perspective on the organization change and how have your uh, responsibilities shifted?
2: Sure. You know, um, being CEO of an organization, as many of your listeners and followers uh, might be and or have been, is it's a it's a paradigm shift. Uh, to it, It's great when you can bounce your ideas upward, but when you're the last stop to making decisions. You know, when I was in college, when I was president of my fraternity, I remember I became elected and my father said, you know, being at the top is the loneliest place because you really there's no really nobody understands the pressure that that's on you and and at the council it's great we have a great team of, of folks and you know we, we bounce a lot of ideas off of, of individuals at the end of the day the buck does stop at, at me and I have to make the decision but you know getting all of the input from the various team members our lawyers our uh, strategic advisors, it's great to kind of just put the strategy together and then watch the team implement it. So m- my role has changed quite a bit is, is being at the top, but what I would say is it's, it's a it's a great place to be, um, to be able to to help motivate people to kind of do the right thing.
1: What are some of the biggest challenges that you guys are working on currently?
2: Well, just last week, the, the state budget was signed into law by, by Governor DeWine, and as you were talking earlier about um, technology and and the online and, you know, the online versus brick and mortar or retail apocalypse. We just had signed into law last week um, based on a court case in June of 2018. Um, The U.S. Supreme Court ruled the Wayfair decision and said that economic nexus is the ability for a state to, to collect and remit its sales tax. So what had happened before is if a retailer did not have physical presence in the state, so if you were an Indiana jeweler and you were selling diamond necklaces into Ohio, the state of Ohio had, you had no ability to collect and remit Ohio's tax. Now the consumers were supposed to, were supposed to remit use tax. So on your tax return each year when you fill it out, there's a box that says use tax. So. 56,000 Ohioans remit use tax out of 11 million people and maybe 5 million taxpayers, so the percentage is pretty low, and so what was happening is companies were not that weren't required to collect the remit sales tax had a competitive advantage over brick-and-mortar retailers, so individuals would go into a Best Buy, and they would showroom and say, oh, I can get this online, and not realizing that the, the price of the product is similar, it's just that the online retailer didn't have to collect and remit the tax. And you as the consumer, who we are price conscious, and and we drive down prices because we have the ability to go shop other places, maybe we we'll would buy it online. So the parity now is that online and brick and mortar have the level playing field. And the tax is going to be... And, and you know, frankly, we don't want the government to pick winners and losers, and so... Why give somebody a government-sponsored competitive advantage? And so we just wanted the playing field to be level. So that was a huge issue that we had worked on for about 12 years. So it was nice to kind of put that, at least put that part of the issue. Issues never really go away. They just change. So it was nice to at least put that part of the issue away.
0: All right, Conquerors, we're going to take a quick break here in the show to tell you about a group called Columbus Gives Back. If you're looking for a way to get involved in your community, but you don't know where and how to start, look no further than Columbus Gives Back. By partnering with over 150 Central Ohio nonprofits, Columbus Gives Back makes volunteering fun and easy by offering 30 to 40 volunteer events each month that are free of cost, commitment, and hassle. Sign up for your first event today at ColumbusGivesBack.org. That's ColumbusGivesBack.org. Conquering Columbus would also like to take a moment to thank the 11th Candle Company. 11th Candle Company may be in the business of selling candles, but social enterprise thrives on igniting hope. Employing women who have experienced human trafficking, 11th offers the resources to redeem, empower, and support them on their journeys to burn bright again. Every candle sold shines a light on an issue that often walks in darkness and provides hope to once-trafficked women on their path to redemption. Come pour your own candle of hope at Polaris Fashion Place across from the Apple Store. Or visit www.11thCandleCompany.com. That's www.11thCandleCompany.com, and that'll be linked down in the show notes. All right, Conquerors, let's get back to this episode. And within all of that, right, like, so what is your day-to-day entail? Like, when you're working on these projects, what are some of the things you're doing day-to-day? Where where are you going? Who are you talking to? And and how do you interact with your team?
2: Sure, yeah, so, you know, the, the day it changes quite a bit. We know, we have six full-time people and, and, you know, two public relations firms and a law firm and a couple of contracts. Um, so my day changes from day to day, which is fun. I mean, I'm kind of like an entrepreneur because in addition to the advocacy piece, we, we do sell services to our members. And so we, you know, if it's insurance programs or things like that, so, you know, one morning I could be working on the promotion of those products I could be talking with a team member 15 minutes later about an issue they're working at the state house hey we're taking this angle do you have any thoughts or what's the strategy you know later i could be talking to our accountant about our books or I could be on the phone with a you know a business owner that owns hundred tire dealerships and he's looking at how to pivot his business and so it changes day to day so it one day it is not similar and, and I travel I travel across the United States I'm the incoming chairman of our national group called the Council of State Retail Associations, which is a group of all the retail associations across the United States. And so, you know, meeting with them, talking about things that are going on in Illinois or New York or Texas or California or Florida. So that that gives you a different perspective. And then, you know, I travel to the state to to visit with, you know, our members who have their headquarters here or have their businesses here.
1: Where do you, this This one definitely is on the script, and I'm curious, you know, with all those different angles that you're going at, where do you get the majority of information? Like where do you spend, or of the Wall Street Journal, or do you do you spend a lot of time reading up on current? Uh, I do, on, yeah, on,
2: yeah I, I do, and frankly, I, I read a ton. Um, I, I live in, in Dublin, and the commute is about 40 minutes, usually in the morning, and it's a little bit shorter, but I'll do audio books, and so I'll, I'll pick topics. I'm reading a great book now called The Range, if you guys are, are familiar with it, and it's, that conceptual learning is is really in this in the age of AI and specializations. That conceptual learning is is being a generalist is better. At, that, at least that's what the author's perspective is. And so uh, I'll do I'll do audiobooks. Um, I read the Wall Street Journal. I'll read Bloomberg. I'll get information from our national groups who are doing you know. We'll be doing you know providing thought leadership and innovation providing thought leadership and, and other facets of the businesses and just talking to people you know building my network and, and and interacting with people like the two of you interacting with you know startup ceos and just trying to get a different perspective and so you know maybe the conversation i have with a startup ceo has a direct correlation to the big co that I'm working with on a particular issue. So the way I look at it is, the more knowledge that I can gain, the more people that I can touch, the more influential I can be.
0: That makes a lot of sense. And so what, like long-term, right? What are your goals? What's your vision right now for the next three, five years for the council? And and what things are you working on long-term?
2: You know, you brought up a good point earlier. I, I keep going back to it about technology. What we're looking to do is can we provide thought leadership you know outside of the day-to-day advocacy outside of the services we may we may we may sell but can we be a bridge to disruptive technologies that may change their business in the coming years and can we can we provide an atmosphere where startups, um, new ideas, can kind of partner with a bigger corporation. And so, you know, maybe there's an acquisition, maybe there's a partnership, but really give these big companies a, a front row seat to all the technologies that are out there, that are coming, that, are, that they may not even, they, they may they they may have put together their five-year plan, but they didn't see that technology. And can we provide an atmosphere where they could be introduced to that technology really in, in, in an industry um, congenial way and look at it as an industry-owned asset where the retail industry is working together to kind of promote? Obviously, everybody has to, to meet their own p ls and be profitable and do their own thing but is there a way to kind of create this atmosphere? And, and that's kind of where I look at uh, the next phase of associations, you know, and the association model will be hundred years old and in 2022 needs to evolve. You know, we need to, our business model needs to continue to change because individuals today want different things than individuals five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and so you have this know range of individuals who may be 60 individuals who maybe 20 and and how can I reach all of them in the various you know mediums that they want to uh, subscribe to and and be more of a network uh, of ideas
1: what about anything from a personal standpoint that sets outside of the council that's your, your goal for the future? Are you, uh, are you heavily into self-improvement, or do you have anything that you're kind of eyeing on?
2: No, you know, I, uh, again, you know, uh, uh, the, the continuous learning I think is really important, um, staying on top of issues. Uh, I have four small kids. My priorities have changed. I think as my kids get older, I've got an 11-year-old, an 8-year-old, 6-year-old, and 2-year-old. So as they become adults, or they kind of transition from being small kids to bigger kids, I want to be a big part of that. Um, you know, I help coach you know my son's baseball team. I try to go to a lot of my daughter's soccer practices. I want to be there for them to kind of help them when they begin to navigate what they want to do. Uh, my oldest son is into Lego robotics, and you know, there are connections that I can make for him now that kind of make that grow. And you know. The the whole idea of um, work-life balance, and do you guys follow Gary Vee? He's pretty active on his social media channels, and he talks about, I mean, you have to define what that is. You have to, and the biggest thing I tell people, and I tell young people, is success is what you define it as. It, if you want to make money, and that's what how you view success, then that's what you should do. I, I think it's a little short-sighted, but whatever you think success is, whatever that, whatever that mixture of family and work and career and growing yourself, all that has to be a recipe that you come up with and the, and the recipe of your spouse. You know, I have a great wife, she, she's a stay-at-home mother, she doesn't work outside the home and without her, I couldn't do a lot, I wouldn't be here tonight, I couldn't do a lot of the things that I'm able to do and so that's a relationship that her and I have built over the years of what she wants to focus on, well, I want to focus on outside the home and then how together we can raise our kids. So does that answer your, answer your question? definitely does. Yeah, it.
0: definitely. I, I think it's super important to understand what your view of success is. And it's something hard to, to find sometimes. So yeah, I definitely think that's great advice. So a lot of our listeners, right, they're entrepreneurs, young professionals, people listening to this podcast, they're all looking to improve themselves. We, you got any advice for them?
2: Absolutely. I think grit is, is super important and grit can be acquired by your upbringing, playing sports. Um, I think grit is super important. I was lucky. Um, and I and I say this as lucky is, you know, when I was a young man, you know, I, I very middle class family and and if I wanted things, I had to work for them. I was able to play some sports, had a part-time job, and I worked for you know, a, a defining, you know, I think piece of my character. The advice my father gave me was, you know, if you if you promise to work, you have to show up. You gotta work. If you promise somebody that you're going to work for them, you agree to whatever the wage is, and you have to to put your best foot forward. And when I was in high school, and then even in college the first couple years, I had a great opportunity with a family-owned business in the Dayton area called Snyder Brick and Block, and I worked at the concrete block yard. Drove a forklift, uh, stacked concrete block, and I would work 50 hours a week, sometimes 55 if we worked on Saturday. And that taught me a ton of things about um, self-respect, uh, respect for others, great day's work. And, and I knew that I didn't want to work in the blockyard my entire life, but it gave me enough to, in the bank to say, whatever I am going to do, I always have to put my best foot forward. So whatever, you know, these you know, your listeners you know, can pull upon what their story of grit is, you know, and, and use that. And then, you know, toil for what you want. Or what you believe in and don't give up I mean you know this whole idea of, of failure is you can fail you can make mistakes but continue to try I mean in your heart you know what you want and you have to go for it and, and I and I strongly suggest that and I, and I think there's you know going back to you know Gary Vee and some of the things he has said and I don't listen to that much but just a couple of things you know stuck out to me is, as you build your network and you talk to people, and there's obviously going to be people in your network who can help you. But the tact that you have to take is, and I'm going to borrow this from, from Gary, is you give, 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 then ask. It's never take. And so if you have that mindset is how can you help other people, You know that to me that, that's mission one is I want to help other people. And if it happens to be a benefit for me, it's icing on the cake doing things for the right reason to be helpful to get somebody who is you know starting in their career some career advice or you know I'm doing this just give them you know uh, honest advice and, and, and try to be helpful
0: well Gordon I think that's great advice and uh, a good place to pivot towards one of our last questions of the show it's centered around the theme here on and Columbus which is live uncomfortably and without telling you too much about why Josh and I chose that phrase what do you think of when you hear it and how does it apply to your life and career
2: I think anything, and we kind of talked about this with, with grit, and I think anything that is meaningful is going to be hard. And when it's hard, it can be uncomfortable. And to, and, and to not focus on, gosh, I want to be here in five years, or I want to be here in two years, and if I do this, this will get me to that. It's the journey. You have to take it in, and, and you know, and and I, and I struggle with that as well. Is that I, I get wrapped up where if I do this, this is going to lead to this, but it's the journey of of going from point A to point B, and you know, the only the only constant in life is change, and so life is is going to be uncomfortable, and I think that the fact that and, and some people have talked about this, and and there's a firm in town called Focus Three, that talks about this a little bit, but you really have no what the life experiences you're going to have, you really have no control over. So once you let go of that and realize that um, life, you know, you can do certain things to prepare yourself, but, but life is going to happen. But what you can control is how you react to it and how you react in, in life. And, and I think those are, those are things that I, I try to do.
0: Well, Gordon, that's a great answer, and we really appreciate you taking the time to join us on the show. You got any last words of advice for people of Columbus?
2: Go Bucks! Go Bucks! <laughs> I like that. It's a
0: good place to end. And and uh, conquerors. That was Gordon Goff. If you want to learn more about him or the Ohio Council of Retail Merchants, check out the links down in the show notes. I appreciate y'all tuning in every week. If you enjoyed that episode, leave us a like, share us on I- or <laughs> share us on Facebook, not iTunes. Give us a rating on iTunes. It really does help us out. And uh, again. Appreciate all your support. We'll talk to you next week. Hey, Conquerors, that's it for the episode today. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode and learned a lot. If you did, make sure to leave a like. Share us on Facebook with your friends. We really appreciate all your support. And every time you share our podcast or leave a review on iTunes, it really does help us out. Before we let you go, we want to take one last moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here at Conquering Columbus. And that starts... With Small Biz Cares.
1: Small Biz Cares is a nonprofit founded by socially conscious community leaders here in Columbus, and their goal is to connect, mobilize, and inspire small businesses to create lasting positive impact in our community. And small Biz Cares members have the unique opportunity to work with like minded businesses to raise money for great causes and participate in large scale volunteer efforts and improve educational opportunity for youth in our community. To learn more, visit smallbizcares.org. That is smallbizcares.org.
0: Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need, including investors, mentors, capital, and talent, through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state. And you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And now I'm going to kick it back to Josh to tell you about our last sponsor, FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and
1: management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself. become the fastest-growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more